I, I like the Winchester a lot. Uh, it looked it looked good on me, didn't it? Uh, if if you missed it, it was cut off there a little bit. It kind of made me sad. It said, "God can provide even for me." So there's hope for you in here if you uh, feel like you're maybe not the prettiest person in the world. Well, hey, my wife is smoking, and I'm way out of my league. So there you go. There's hope. There's hope for you. <clears throat> yeah, we have uh, we have two kids. My uh, oldest. His name is Noah. He was he's three, uh, and Leah is our little girl. She's 15 or 16 months. We've been married, we've been married for six years. We've been on staff for around five. Uh, we've been uh, at South Campus. South? How come I don't get a staff? Yeah, we've been on sta- we've been on staff on South Campus for maybe the last maybe the last four years. And uh, this summer we spent uh, we spent in Venezuela with Kristen. Uh, and so, God, God did some amazing things uh, this summer uh, on our summer project. And so, uh, Stephen talked a little bit about what summer projects are and things like that. And so, uh, but it was also pretty tough for us. There's, there's just things about having two really little kids uh, overseas that, that just kind of makes things tough. They're out of their element. They're out of their comfort zone. Uh, we were really worried about... Leah getting even milk uh, and things like that. We were worried about our kids getting enough sleep and they they didn't get enough sleep. And when your babies don't get enough sleep, that means you don't get sleep and that means everybody's cranky and uh, things are just kind of a mess. But but maybe the, the, the hardest moment for us of Project, or one of the hardest, was actually when Project was over. We're coming home and we're in the Caracas airport in Venezuela and our flight is delayed. So just in general, when your flight is delayed, this is not a good, this is not a good feeling. You're not happy. Uh, and when there's 30 of you and you have two little kids, it's just, uh, in general, not happy. The kids are cranky, and Noah's like, why do I have to sit in this stinking stroller all day? This is not fun. Get me out of here. And so finally, we do get on the flight, and we fly into Atlanta to get our connecting flight. Uh, but in Atlanta, we, we miss our connecting flight altogether. And so all 30 of us are sort of sitting in the Atlanta airport with our luggage huddled around us, uh, not knowing what is going to happen next. We don't know if we're going to get a flight uh, that night or the next day. We don't know if we're, you know, hopping on a bus to get home. We know at some point we're going to get home if we have to hitchhike or walk, uh, get me out of this airport. But it's, uh, it's just not a fun thing. I mean, there... The whole project was with us there, and there's people crying because they missed their, their connecting flight to Chicago, and they don't know how, to, they don't know how they're going to get home. There's other people dropping four-letter words, and it's just, this is a, it was a Christian summer project with real life. I mean, maybe it was just me dropping four-letter words, but someone was not happy with things. Uh, but we knew, we, you know, we were expecting, we knew something uh, something is going to get us home at some point, uh, but during during the time, it, it just wasn't it just wasn't very fun. Uh, and I, I I tell you this story because I think it's eerily similar to the the nation of Israel before uh, before Jesus, leading up to uh, the time of Jesus stepping onto the scene. And so uh, they were expectant; they knew that. 
God was going to show up and save the day. But they didn't know what, what to look for. They didn't know uh, what it was going to look like. They didn't know what God was going to look like. They just knew they had all of these promises. We know we're going to get home. We just don't know how. We just don't know what it's going to look like. We know God is eventually going to wipe away every tear and uh, stake his claim on the kingdom. We just don't know how or we don't know what it's going to look like. And so uh, they had promises from the Old Testament. They had a couple from uh, really all over the Old Testament, but Zechariah uh, 8.13 is one in particular. It says, As you have been an object of cursing among the nations, O Judah and Israel, so will I save you, and you'll be a blessing. Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. Uh, They have from Zechariah again, Shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for I am coming, and I will live among you. They had one from Ezekiel that said, My dwelling place will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. All of these promises. God is saying, I'm coming back. I will make things right. I know things have been tough for you. At this point, Israel has been in exile uh, first under Egypt, and then Babylon, and Persia, Uh, And then Egypt again and Syria. Now they're in exile under the Roman Empire. They're not treated well. This is not a happy thing. They're sitting with their luggage and they're dropping four-letter words is what's going on with the nation of Israel. And and they don't even know what they're looking for. Uh, The the book of Sirach is uh, a telling example. Uh, What's in there just says, Who has seen him and can describe him? Who has seen God and can describe him? We don't even know what we're looking for, but we know we're hopeful. Uh, We know we're expectant. And so uh, what I'd like to take a look at tonight is I I think the New Testament's answer to this question, the New Testament's answer to the hope and the expectation of the nation of Israel. Uh, We're going to take a look at John chapter 6 and how uh, Jesus steps onto the scene, I think, to answer their questions, but to answer it in a little bit of a different way than they expected. So would would you pray with me? For a moment, and then we'll dive in uh, to our text. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we're here in this room because to some degree, at some level, we want to meet with you. Uh, we want to we give you a shot. We want to um, deepen our relationship with you. Uh, or maybe even begin one, if it's worth it. Uh, And and I just pray that you would uh, meet us there, that you would meet us in our needs and and highlight what what we really need tonight. I pray that you would uh, speak through me uh, and just meet our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so we're going to start in John chapter 6. I want to give a little bit of a background to the section of John 6 that we're going to talk about. What Jesus has just done is he's just fed the 5,000. And so the feeding of the 5,000 is the only story that is in all four Gospels. It's, uh, so it's probably pretty important for that reason alone. But many of us know the story of the, of the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, they go up on a hill... And they don't have any money, they don't have any food, and so Jesus says, well, how much food do you have? Well, we have, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus is like, well, okay, uh, 
I'm Jesus, so we're going to make this work. (laughs) And so he prays, uh, and miraculously, everyone is fed, and the Bible actually says that they're fed to to their fill, and then uh, Jesus sort of throws in a little... Uh, an extra shot at the buzzard that, that there's, extra, there's tons of extra food left over just in case you thought you know maybe that we didn't eat much and I tricked you there's even more than five loaves of fish or five loaves of bread and two fish left afterwards and so he's just uh, he's just proving that he he can provide he is the provider and then what happens is uh, Jesus Jesus goes off to be alone. Uh, the people that he feeds start wondering, maybe Jesus is the guy that we've been expecting all along. You know, maybe he's our trip home from this Atlanta airport. Maybe Jesus is the one uh, that will begin to make things right. And Jesus uh, is afraid that they're going to make him king by force. And so he goes off uh, by himself. And, and meanwhile, while Jesus is off by himself, his disciples hop in the boat that, that was there on the Sea of Galilee, and they, and they go over to the other side. And Jesus decides, well, hey, I'm, I'm Jesus, and I can do stuff like this, so I'm going to walk on water. And he strolls across the water, and the, uh, the disciples see him, and they kind of freak out, like, oh my gosh, what do we do? Here's a dude walking on water. And, uh, you know, Jesus says, okay, calm down, it's me. And they hop in a boat, and then poof, they're on the other side. Uh, and, and all the while... On the other side of the sea are, are everyone that Jesus had just fed. And they really liked the food. They really liked Jesus. They had some thoughts about who he was. They had some thoughts about what he could do in their life. And so they're looking for him everywhere. They didn't see Jesus get into the boat. So they, uh, they're looking for him. And eventually they're like, ah, I wonder if he goes over to the other side. Of, of the sea. So they cross over to the other side of the sea to find Jesus. So they had just been fed and they're looking for Jesus. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. So uh, we'll start in verse 25 of chapter 6. It says, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked, asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves. And had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. The, the Gospel of John is pretty funny. His, his humor is weird, but... I, I mean, if, if we just take a look at this question, if you're one of the people asking Jesus this, this question, you are totally befuzzled. At, at, I just made up a word there. But you're totally confused at Jesus' response. You know, we were looking for you. We noticed you didn't get into the boat. So we followed you over to the other side. Hey, Jesus, when did you get here? And Jesus is like, these are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> Truly, I tell you, you came here. But, you know, it's like, what in the I don't think you even heard, hey man, when did you get here? (laughs) Truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Uh, What he's doing, I think John is trying to be funny, but I also think that uh, what Jesus does throughout the Gospel of John uh, is he sort of takes 
questions to another level. He answers the deeper questions that are going on in their hearts. And so what the people are really asking Jesus is, uh, what can you provide sort of thing? And Jesus is like, I I know why you're here. Listen, I I see right through uh, everything that you're about to do. I know why you're here. You're here because I gave you some, some good food. You're here because you had your fill in me. And, and, and you're not just here to, to do the work of God, to do the things that God requires. And I think in a lot of ways we can empathize with, with uh, these people, or, or at least that we have a lot in common with them. I think uh, when we initially come to God, we initially come to God because we believe that He can provide something. Maybe, maybe God can provide intellectual uh, security or emotional security. Maybe we, uh, we are carrying around guilt and shame and we come to, come to God because, or we come to Jesus because this is the first place we have ever found forgiveness. Or maybe our life is just totally broken and the, the, the only place that we've found restoration is in God. Maybe you come to real life because you love the band. Maybe you come to real life because you love to, to, to feel really good. Or these, This is the first group of people that you're around that has not made fun of you and has accepted you for who you are, has not judged you based on your uh, clothes or your looks or your GPA or anything like that. And Jesus is saying, listen, the reason you're, you're here, I know, I know the reason you're here, and it's not... It, it's, it's because of what I provide. But he, but he doesn't really say uh, the reason we should be here yet. Uh, I think that's where he's going. And he says, don't work for food that spoils, uh, but for food that endures to eternal life. So the next few verses in 28 through 31, uh, they ask him, well, okay, if, if we need to do the work that endures to eternal life, what do we need to do? What, was, what must we do? And Jesus answers, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they ask him, well, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ain't the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so I, I think they have an honest question. Well, okay, if we're not supposed to be here because we believe, because we want forgiveness and we want restoration and we want healing and we want to be a part of a good community, if, if those aren't the reasons necessarily that we're supposed to be here, uh, why are we supposed to be here? What is the work of God? And Jesus' Jesus's answer is the work of God is this, believe in the one God sends. And... This has to be frustrating for them because, again, they're, they're hoping, they're expectant, they're waiting. They're waiting for the one that God's going to send. And Jesus is saying, well, just believe in the one God sent. And they're kind of like, well, sure, I, that makes sense, but I, how do we even know we can believe you? How do we know that you're trustworthy? Here's what Moses did. Moses gave us bread from heaven. Moses provided bread when we were wandering in the wilderness, when our whole nation had no food, had no provision. What Moses did was he gave us bread from heaven every single day. 
that was enough to provide for us. What are you going to do? How do we know we can trust you? You say that the work of God is about believing in the one God has sent. How do I know that you're trustworthy? How do I know I can trust you? And Jesus says this in 32. He says, Very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Jesus corrects them in two ways. He says, first, let's get a couple things straight. One, it wasn't Moses at all who provided the bread for you. It was God. God is the one that sent down bread from heaven. That can, uh, I think that can apply directly to us where we're sitting. A lot of times we will credit uh, our mentors. We will credit uh, the, the good feelings that the, the band could give us or that the speaker could uh, make us feel. And Jesus would say, listen, you can do that if you want, but this is God's work. God is the one that's providing for you. God is the one that's meeting your needs. God is the one that is putting you in a community in which you begin to experience healing and forgiveness and things like that. So let's at least get that straight. God is the provider. He has always been the provider. This is, what, this is just what he does. We're in this room right now because to some degree we believe God can provide at some small level even. Most of us at probably a bigger level, but at, at some uh, intuitive level, we believe God can provide or we just wouldn't be here. We would, we would be on High Street or we would be somewhere else. And the, the second way he corrects them, so the first is to say God is the provider of the manna from heaven. You're wrong about thinking it was Moses. The second way uh, that you're wrong is that um, the, the real bread, the true bread of God, is the one that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You had manna. You had bread. You had sustenance. What you were missing was the true bread of heaven that gives life to the world. You're missing the, the thing that actually fulfills. When we come to God just to get uh, forgiveness or restoration or to feel good or to be a part of a group with a purpose, we, we're maybe missing the true bread of God. And so their uh, reply, I think, is a great one. Well, give, that's what I want then. I want the true bread from heaven. I want uh, the bread that comes down from heaven. And so uh, this, is, this is how Jesus answers then. In uh, verse 35. So they say, Sir, uh, always give us this bread. They're in the middle. And then Jesus declares... I, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. I am the bread of life. I am what you have been looking for all along. You're, you're stuck on this idea of being provided for, this idea of getting bread to, to fill your need. What you really need is me. I am the bread of life. 
This is, this week we're finishing the series entitled God Can. Two weeks ago, Bacho talked about God can forgive. No matter how dark our past, no matter how shameful, no matter how, um, how, how ashamed we are of what has gone on, God can forgive us. Last week, Elizabeth talked about the, the prostitute Rahab and how God can restore even her, and God can restore you. God can, uh, can meet us and be, can begin to make our lives whole again and can uh, stitch us into his plan for the world. God can restore. This week, w- what we're talking about is God can provide. And again, this is obvious. God God can provide. Jesus is affirming that. Yes, God is the one that provided bread in the wilderness. Also, the, the, the twist Jesus is putting on it is he's saying, God is the provision. He is what you have been wanting all along. This is what Jesus means when he says, I am the bread of life. It's not just that God can give you good grades on your midterms and God can uh, give you a girlfriend or make things right in your relationship or cure you from your addiction to pornography. Jesus is saying, listen, those are, those are good things to want, but they're, they're not what the deeper issue is. The deeper need, the, the deeper thing that will, that will fill your life is me. I am the bread of life. I am your only hope is what Jesus is saying. N.T. Wright says this about this passage. He says, what, what matters is not just what Jesus can do for you. What matters is who Jesus is. Only if you're prepared to be confronted by that in a new way can you begin to understand what he can really do for you, what he really wants to do for you. Uh, only when, only when we can first see that Jesus is the bread of life, can we begin to find a place for all of our littler desires. And, and, and I'm tentative even to say littler. I, I, I wonder if I shouldn't have said that. But uh, we'll, we'll at least notice what Jesus does here is he does not uh, relegate their desire for provision to second class. He just says, what I'm going to point to are deeper issues. The deeper issue, the deepest issue of your heart is to find fulfillment, to find satisfaction, and your only hope for that is in me. When you find me, then, then let's address all of the other issues. But first, you have to find your satisfaction and fulfillment in me. Find your fulfillment in the bread of life. This is the only bread that can ultimately satisfy us. And so what, what we will do is we will either... We'll either go to God for the things that he can provide. We'll go to God because he can provide forgiveness and a purpose and uh, make us feel good about life. We will go to God because we believe this is what we're supposed to do. Uh, And then we'll begin to be frustrated. Why is this this Christian thing isn't really working uh, the the way I thought it should be doing? It should be going. I don't feel as good about life uh, as I should. And I think it's because we've put our own desires ahead of what will ultimately fulfill. What will ultimately, the only thing that will fulfill us is Jesus. Or worse, I think we'll go to other things. Uh, we'll, we, will, uh, we, will, we will worship 
popularity and vanity. We will worship relationships. We will go to all of these other things for, 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 for fulfillment. We know deep down that we are hurting and we are lonely. The only thing that's going to make me stop feeling lonely is if I can just date the right girl. If, or if I can uh, be with the right guy. You know, if I get married one day and have kids, then my life will make sense. Then, then finally, I'll be happy. Or if I just look good enough for my friends, if I can get my friends to agree that I'm attractive or that I'm witty or that I'm fun to be around, then I will feel good about life. This is the reason we'll stand, we'll stand in front of a mirror for two hours in the morning because uh, what we believe is that we will feel good about ourselves if other people will think we were attractive, or at least if they don't think we look, we look silly. So I'll try on five different pairs of pants in the morning before I go out because I'm so consumed by what people think about me. Because I believe that if they think, deep down, I believe that if they think I look good, this will make me happy in life. I'll, I'll stand in front of a mirror for a half hour, an hour, uh, a day. Because this is what I want so bad. If people will just think that I'm quality. I'll sit in front of my Facebook status. Or uh, I'll look at other people's Facebook statuses and I'll think about what I'm going to comment and I'm going to try to make it sound really witty and really funny because if people believe that I'm witty and funny, I will feel good about myself and I will be able to make it through life. My whole life is about trying to be witty, trying to look good. Because again, deep down, I believe if I can just be popular, if, if people could just think, uh, boy, he's... Boy, he's smart, or boy, he's funny. Uh, then, then life will be easier to navigate. I'll be able to make it through. Jesus steps on the scene for this, and he just says, "Listen, I am the only thing that's going to fulfill you." At the end of the day, if people think you're the most popular in the world, it's irrelevant. I, I'm the only one that has come down from heaven. I am the bread of life. It's only in me that you're going to find satisfaction. It's not in looking good. It's not in your popularity, and it's not in your relationship. This, this guy you're with that does not, does not treat you well is not going to fulfill you ultimately in life. You're always going to be wanting more, is what Jesus is saying. I, th- I think my wife gets this. Probably one of my favorite moments of our, of our marriage and of, of being parents was the day, was the day Noah was born. Uh, like I said, Noah's, Noah's three. And when, when he was born, it was just miraculous. I mean, we were uh, so happy and so full of love. Every, everything that you hear about the day your child is born uh, was pretty true for us. It was, it was like, this is, this is too good to be true. I cannot believe how much I love this little guy. And... We're, we're, the, the moment was a few hours after Noah was born. We're sitting in the hospital room, and the nurse is in there. And Noah begins to turn light blue. Uh, and, and he begins to get darker and even uh, a little purple. Well, the nurse totally loses it. The nurse is looking for uh, something 
We weren't even sure what she was looking for. And then what the nurse does just broke our hearts right open. The nurse takes the cart that Noah was in and sprints down the hallway with him, right out of the room and right down the hallway in a dead sprint. Melissa and I sort of look at each other like, I cannot believe what just happened. This is not... When you see a nurse just lose it like that, this is not, this is not good. So not, not knowing at all what to do, I sort of look uh, at Melissa and I'm, babe, let's just pray. I don't know what else to do. And so I sit on her bed, and this is what Melissa prayed. The gist of it was, God, you, you, you have been really good to us. And you are really good. We love our boy a lot. And we want a long, healthy life for him. And we want you to do miraculous things in our family. But, but we just want what you want for the world. We want, because we know you're the only thing and your plan is the only one that ultimately matters. If you want to take Noah, take him. And I'm, I, you know, I was just like, no. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Boo! <laughs> you know, like, what? Uh, fine, you trust God. I'm, I don't... Uh, like I said, Noah is three now. He, they just sort of needed to pump uh, fluids and stuff out of him. And, uh, but I, I, I think she got it. I think she got a glimpse of this, that Jesus is the bread of life. He's, he's the only thing that matters. His plan is the only thing that matters, ultimately. And so, uh, to, to close... I, the application is is crazy it's all over the place i don't know how do you, i mean how do you realistically live out jesus is the only thing that will fulfill well for first for starters let's let's lay down uh, the little things that we seek fulfillment in let's be a group of people that decide hey we're not going to determine our uh, worth or the worth of anyone in this room by what you look like or by how witty you, you are or how uh, popular you are, or how, how good you are at shooting three-pointers, or anything like that. Let's, let's, let's define each other uh, in other ways, through the eyes of God. Let's be people like that. Let's, let's break up in the relationships we're in that we're, that we're just frankly trying to find fulfillment in. And it's obvious that we believe this guy or this girl can make me feel good. Let's move on and say, you know, I, I'm, I'm done with that game. Only Jesus can fulfill me, so I'm going to give him a shot. And I think what giving him a shot could look like to be the bread of life in your life, it could mean going to Indy CC. 
It could, it, could, it could mean giving the last five days of your Christmas break to going to this conference where the very theme, in fact, is God is greater than. You want to know if uh, God ultimately can fulfill you more than these other things? Well, that's what they're hammering home. All conference is that God really is, and his plan really is greater than anything you could think up, anything you could imagine. Or let's consider a summer project. Let's consider giving up our summer. You know, I don't totally know if I believe this Bart guy, but what he keeps saying is that Jesus can fulfill me more, and I don't know, that hasn't been my experience. Maybe I'm willing to try for ten weeks just to see, just to check it out. So you could come with us to, to Indianapolis uh, over Christmas break, the, the last five days after Christmas is over. You could go on summer project. Uh, I'm over my time. But Corey, Corey Ten Boom is someone that was, uh, sh- she was Dutch during the uh, German occupation uh, in World War II. She housed Jews and different people like this. And so... Uh, ultimately, she was arrested. She was thrown into jail in a solitary confinement by the Nazis. Eventually, she's thrown into a concentration camp where she goes through the most horrific... Uh, I, I mean, if you've read anything about concentration camps, you know these were not, uh, these were not good places. Um, and so at the end of her... At, at, when the war was beginning to look like maybe it was going to end and maybe there was some hope for her, what she, what she began to dream about was talking to people about the only thing that made her hold on throughout her time in the concentration camps. And that was believing that Jesus is, is the victor. He is the one He's the only one that we can trust in. And so she begins to give speeches all over the place and begins to do uh, crazy things for God. The gist of every speech she gave is this, and this is one of her, f- her famous quotes, and I'm just going to leave you with this. She says, come with me. This is what Corrie Ten Boom says after being in concentration camp. She says, come with me into Jesus and step into the greatest adventure you will ever know. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for being the only thing that can fulfill. We want to step into the adventure with you. Draw us there. Make us brave enough to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.